Welcome to Women of the Wild, where education and opportunities are key. And friendships are made to last a lifetime. Did you get him? <laughs> you think we got him? You think we got him? <laughs> got him. <laughs> All right, Skylar, what do we got here? to season two women of the wild podcast we would like to first start off by thanking our title sponsors for the 2024 year atlantic coral enterprise one of the largest import dealers in the world with excellent quality for hides skulls shells and amazing gifts for friends and family or even your household you can find them at atlanticcoralenterprise.com rm calls often imitated never duplicated You've blown theirs, now blow ours. American-made duck calls made with high-quality single-read and top-of-the-line materials, fine-tuned by the best turd polisher in the business. Not tooting our own horn, just blowing our own calls. You can find them at rmcustomcalls.com or on Instagram. We also have Rhino Land Safaris, providing exceptional quality with unmatched hospitality and cuisine, offering African safaris, a destination hunt, for the avid rifle or bow hunter with some of the best trophy management South Africa has to offer. You can find them at rhinoland.co.za or on Facebook, Instagram. Hey everyone, Andy Lehman here from ACC Crappie Sticks. Just want to let you know about our crappie baits and jig heads. We have a wide selection of the hottest colors and big eye crappie jig heads in the most popular colors and sizes. Check them all out at acccroppysticks.com. Thank you. And now for today's episode, we hope you enjoy. Hi, welcome back to Women of the Wild podcast. Uh, this is your host, Felicia Marie, and we are here today with Ashley Fogg from Texas. Hi, Ashley. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well. So you are a mother, um, a, a true-hearted Texan. I followed you for a while, um, and you do so much... In the exotic world, I would love to dive into a little bit about like who you are, what your upbringing was, and how you got to where you are today. Who I am, wise, I do have, I am a single mom, two kids. Actually, I do have a, a boyfriend now. I'm a hunting guide. I've been guiding hunts for about 15 years. I mostly do high fence, exotic hunts, low fence, whitetail. I've guided a couple hunts in Colorado and a few caribou hunts in Alaska, but the majority of it is going to be the exotic species, all the African species do a lot of access hunts as well, but I've been doing it for about 15 years. I got my first access 15 years ago and I absolutely loved it. And the guide kind of took me under his wing. He was actually 83 years old. Uh, I started guiding with him a month after my first access hunt and I just never stopped. That's incredible. Like what a, what a way to, 
start. So that first axis hunt just drove such a deep passion in you that you were like, this is what I want to make a living out of. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody could necessarily make a living off of being a hunting guide, but mm-hmm. I love it so much that I'm willing to lose some of my normal income to go, to go do that. Especially That's when it's a-, a kid's first time getting an animal. That's the most enjoyable thing for me on, in, in the world is getting a, a kid their first animal. Oh, absolutely. Especially as a mother, I think that we just have that nurturing nature that seeing a kid spark up for the first time for their first harvest is there's nothing like it. It's one of the most incredible feelings in the world. It is. It, it really is. I I can name all my favorite hunts and they all involve kids or even, you know, women that have never hunted before. Um, I've got a lot of women that come out with their husbands just to stay at the cabin and they're not into hunting and whatnot. And I've been able to transition them into getting comfortable with hunting mm-hmm. um and so they'll actually get their first animal with me and that's that's pretty special too yeah that's amazing these kids it's it's one of our big sayings here um at women of the wild is you know you take a kid out hunting and that is the next generation of our conservation that providing them that experience pulling them away from tablets and televisions giving them that boost to be in the outdoors. So creating those experiences for kids is it, there's, it leaves me speechless because that's really awesome. That's actually a piece of you that I didn't know just from following you on social media. So that's a really great aspect of who you are as a person, because I guess it like just identifies you as a person because that type of hunting, that type of, it's not about me. It's about getting them their first harvest. It's about creating that experience and and creating that drive for them. Not a lot of people are doing that. So how often do you take kids out? During the normal whitetail season, probably I'd say 10 times a month. And if it's not the whitetail season, MLD or, or the normal season in whatever County we're hunting in, then it's probably once, maybe, maybe twice a month. Now, are those typically high fence or low fence? hunts uh it's it's 50 50 it just really depends on what they're going after and and what they want to harvest i've got a lot of kids that have already gotten a whitetail so they come back for an an exotic i've got a lot of kids that get their first animal being an exotic and then they want to come back for a whitetail and they want it on a low fence so all of my hunters always turn out to be return hunters they come with me one time and then they'll request me year after year after year it's neat because i can have a kid come out and they'll get their first doe or their first whitetail and i get to continuously watch these kids upgrade into bigger and and better animals i had a, a girl actually last year she got um a 230 inch whitetail with me and she got her first doe with me seven years ago. So it's really neat to be able to grow with these kids and get, you know, bigger and better animals as they, as they mature. Oh, absolutely. That's just, gosh, that's amazing. So for you, I don't know if you've ever heard the term, the three R's we've talked about it a few times. Are you familiar with that term? No, ma'am. I'm not. Okay. So the three R's I feel like you are the epitome of what this is, right? It's recruitment, retention, and reactivation. So like the recruitment is the fact that you're taking these kids out for that very first time, but then they're returning back with you. We focus on that a lot with Women of the Wild because the the recruitment is getting these new people out there, whether it's kids, whether it's women, whether it's female veterans, that's our focus. And um, recruiting those people to come out for the first time to experience it, you know, all experience levels are welcome. We, we pride ourselves in drawing the whole family in. So even if it's, you know, a wife has been out with us several times, but we want, now she wants to take her husband. 
that's still a recruitment. We're bringing a new person into the outdoors. And then, then it follows with retention. So it's those people coming back to you for that second time. And you're continuously creating those new opportunities. And then a reactivation, not so much with kiddos. That's something more like we focus in adults because the reactivation is like, say a mom, you know, she had her kids, she got out of hunting for a while, but she wants to get back into it. So I, th I think it's really great because yeah. those first two pieces of the three R's is huge right now because our, our hunting sales licensing is on a decline. We're constantly, you know, being attacked by, you know, the greenies and the PETA and everything out there of what we're doing as hunters. And, it, you know, there's, there's that terrible cloud over our head that we're like these terrible people. But in all reality, most hunters have more compassion for the animals than even, you know, these people that are part of PETA or anything like that, that we all have this like true care for that animal. And we probably know more about them than someone that's just. It's funny you say that because I, I've gotten that backlash of people. Like I had a lady a few weeks ago, I posted a picture with some white tails that one of my hunters got and she commented on my Facebook and she said, you're a murderer. Why don't you just go to the grocery store and buy your meat? And I'm like, you know, what do you, what do you think they did? But that not only do these kids come out or women or other hunters, we don't just go harvest an animal. Like every, every ounce of the meat on that animal, I personally process it myself for my hunters. I bag it up for them. The kids always help me. I always have the kids help me. So it's like, it's, it's so crazy that, you know, people will give you crap for harvesting these animals, but I work with these animals live more than I do hunting wise. And, you know, I've stitched them up. I give them antibiotics. I literally, that's what I do full time. That's, you know, what pays my bills is I work with these exotic animals and I take care of them. There's thousands of people in the state that know if you have a sick or injured animal, call Ashley and she can help you save it. So it's, it's crazy that I get the backlash that you're talking about because I am like a, an extreme advocate for these animals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a girl on staff. She's, she's been a vet tech for many years and she gets a lot of that backlash of like, how can you come in on your day-to-day -day job and care and love for these animals? And then you go out hunting that same afternoon. And I think yeah, a lot of I people do. don't realize that like substance hunting, a lot of hunters, I would say a majority of them are not in it for like, quote unquote, the thrill of the kill, right? Like it's, right. it's, it's a substance, it's an enjoyment. It's almost like a therapy for a lot of people in the outdoors and especially with young kids it's crazy to me with with two young boys to see you know what public schools do to them and just the interaction with you know I, I see kids that are young with cell phones or social media profiles and it it drives me crazy so to hear that you're out there getting more kids involved in the outdoors pulling them away from screens and tablets and giving them something to thrive on and it's building a better human being as because it's teaching them self-sustainability so that's fantastic it, it is I, uh, so I, every every year whether it's exotic season or if it's deer season i personally pay for, for Either it'd be access does or whitetail does, depending on the season. Um, but I'll make a Facebook post every year and I'll say, hey, I've got a spot for this many kids. And I, I'd like to get underprivileged kids or vets and their kids. 
And I bring them out every year and we get them an animal free of charge just to get them off the video games, just to get them off the TV. A lot of people can't afford to lease a low fence place for deer and, you know, pay for the feeders and the corn and the cameras and everything else. So every yeah. year I make I make, it, make sure that November, December, sometimes January and February as well, I go out of my way to make sure I can get as many kids as I possibly can fit in that couldn't normally afford something like that. And it really does change their lives. That's I had a 14-year-old last year that went and got a doe for the first time. I donated the trip. He got his doe. He helped me clean it. That's all he talked about for the rest of the year until this season. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted to go get his own rifle. He wanted to be outside. He wanted to scout deer. And his dad was like, you know, before he went hunting with you, all he ever did was talk about video games. And that just, the, a light bulb went on his head and it completely switched. That's and that's, I, abs- it that's literally why I do what I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to commend you on that because a, a lot of people are more in it for themselves than they are for getting others out there. And I absolutely love that about you. I think it's, it's incredible. And like you said, helping either underprivileged or veteran families or anything like that, like there's a, a need for it. There's a lot of, I have a really good friend that owns Ultimate Veteran Adventures, runs that. And they do a lot with taking out like gold star families and to hear back from trips like that, where, you know, a a mother or a father had passed away in the military and these kids, they cling to things like social media. They cling to things for um, self-validation and then they go out and they do one of these hunts and they, they find it within themselves in the outdoors. And it's just, it's really awesome that you're doing that. A lot of times whenever I do mostly the, the donated hunts, I'll bring my daughter or my son with me or even both of them if they're around the same age as, you know, the kids that are coming. And it, it's good for them to see how my kids act and how comfortable with it they are with it. And then they, you know, end up getting more comfortable with it as well. My daughter is 14 and she can skin a deer quicker than I can. She's got That's no problem caping out an animal. So it, it's, it helps when I bring them, when you have kids that have never done something like that before, because it makes them more comfortable. They're not on their phones. They're not on, you know, TikTok or Snapchat or anything like that. My daughter's like, Hey, let's go find sheds. Let's go do this when we're not in the blind. So as I'm blessed with my kids. If you gave the, my kids the option, Hey, let's go sit in the blind and watch for deer or let's play a video game. My, my kids are going to go out in the blind. That's awesome. And that's what we need. You know, it's the next generation that's growing we need more parents. We need more people that are out there that are advocates for getting our youth involved in the outdoors. And I've, I've said the same thing. You know, I think it, I'm a single mother myself of two and my boys are 10 and 14, but my kids are the same way. They're like, they're like, mom, let's go. And we go to football games or basketball games and there's other kids who want that. And the parents aren't pushing to do it. Even if, a, even if you have a parent that doesn't hunt, you can find someone like yourself and get those kids involved. If it's something that they start to say they have a a want or a need or a passion for it, feed it. Because like to our listeners out there, especially in the Texas, you're like Southern Texas, you said down by San Antonio. Yes. If we have listeners out there in that area to get your kids involved, I highly recommend reaching out to Ashley because this is what we need for our children. This is what we need for our youth. This is what we need for our next generation of conservation. And more people doing what you're doing is so important in our outdoors world. And there, there's a lot of people that are afraid um, when it comes to the firearm aspects of, of hunting. Either they've never been around guns, they weren't raised by guns, whatever it may be. I don't just take a kid outside and, and go shoot an animal. I mean, I teach I teach them gun safety from the very beginning. 
We work on it for hours and hours and hours. I get them comfortable with that weapon. I make sure that they're safe. I'm safe. Everybody's safe. And then we go out and start, you know, looking for the animal that we're looking for. So if anybody's worried about the gun aspect of it, it's, it's extremely safe. And I make sure the kids are comfortable with it too. I don't, I don't believe that anybody should be holding a weapon if they're not comfortable holding it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I, that was actually going to be my next question is how you bring the introduction of firearms or do you do archery as well with the kids? I do archery with the kids. Uh, most of the kids are better with me than archery, believe it or not. Okay. Um, I, I don't personally bow hunt. I have before, but it's just not, not my thing, but I do do lessons with the kids for bow hunting. Um, I'm, I'm more of a, a rifle hunter just cause I'm little. It's hard for me to get comfortable pulling a bow back, but I definitely, uh, I'm fine with kids doing, doing archery, whatever they're more comfortable with. I've had a couple kids that came out to shoot an animal and they just were not comfortable with a firearm at that, that age. So we went out and got them a bow and came back and ended up getting them an animal. I love that. Now, are you using crossbow compounds, recurves? How are you doing that with the kids with, uh, I would assume with not a, a heavy draw weight? No, I've used compound a couple times or crossbow, excuse me, crossbows a few times. And then there's a couple kids that were older. I had an 18 and a 19 year old boy that had never been hunting before. They were able to use the ones that you pull back and whatnot. So, and I've had a few that brought their own bow. That's just amazing to me that you're doing this. Um, and like I said, it wasn't something on social media that I had retracted from from following you and everything that you were so inclined to doing this for the our youth. And it it blew me away when you said that because it's it's incredible to be doing what you're doing, and on on the scale that you're doing it in. Um, now, how old is your son? You said your daughter is fourteen. My son is uh, thirteen. Okay. So they're really close in age and you have like, whenever you take kids out, you try to bring them out there. It's, I'm sure it's a comfortability aspect for them. How do your yeah. kids do, how do they perceive all of this that you're doing? Is this something, I know you said that they're avid in doing this as well, but how do they feel about bringing more kids their age involved? They, they absolutely love it. My daughter complains to me on a regular basis about the kids at her school, how they're not involved in the outdoors and all they ever want to do is be on their phone and She's there's, you know, girls in her high school are doing things that she would never even think about doing. And she's like, Mom, these girls are the same age as me. She's like, Why aren't they outside? Why aren't they hunting? Why aren't they doing this? So it makes me feel good as a mom that, you know, my daughter is choosing other aspects in life instead of, you know, the, the more negative things, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Um, my son is my son is big on the the hunting. He's not big on cleaning the deer. My daughter's a lot quicker to be like, "Hey, I'll clean that deer." My son's kind of hesitant about it, but he'll still he'll still get it done. We will now be taking a short break to hear from our mid-segment sponsors. Share your love of the outdoors with your little ones through the exciting adventures in Dr. Josh Farr's children's books. As an avid sportsman, Dr. Josh Farr has taken his passion for the outdoors and uses his vivid storytelling to teach valuable lessons and appreciation of the world. Learn the alphabet through the ABCs of hunting. Find joy in exploring the outdoors with Let's Go Out and Play and more. You and your child will love learning about nature with Dr. Josh Farr. See all of his books now at drjoshfarr.com. That's D-R-J-O-S-H-F-A-R-R.com. Weeby Knives, a brand of skinning, fleshing, and butchering knives perfect for the hunters, trappers, and fishermen with a unique high-quality knife for animals of all shapes and sizes. You can find them and more information at WeebyKnives.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stonehouse Digital Consulting, elevate your small business with Stonehouse's expert marketing solutions. Ignite your online presence and thrive with a tailored strategy to drive your growth. 
You can find them and more information at StonehouseDigitalConsulting.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Livingston County Pheasants Forever, Chapter 465, with a mission to conserve pheasant, quail, and other wildlife through habitat improvements, public access, education, and conservation. You can contribute by joining the meetings on the first Thursday of every month at 7 p.m. at the Howell American Legion Hall on the corner of M59 and Grand River. For more information and to get involved, you can find them at pf465.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Dreamcatcher Charters, a Michigan-based guide service for walleye, sturgeon, and duck hunting. With a passion that drives their success, sharing the phenomenal Michigan waterways with everyone. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram. Feather Moon Outdoors, offering calls made from select materials. Every pot is fine-tuned in the house using the highest quality materials available. Also offering diaphragm, slate, glass, grunt calls, and more. For more information, you can find them at feathermooneoutdoors.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stay tuned, more podcasts to come. Um, I, I didn't own a TV in my home actually until last year. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have video games or, or anything like that. They were young enough to where I said, y'all are going to play outside and, and that's that. And there's some parents that have said that I'm mean for not allowing them to be on video games, but I rather have them learning daily life skills than learning how to fight somebody on a video game. Absolutely. A thousand percent agree with that. Now, do you, do you live on a ranch? Do you work on a ranch? What is it? Um, I do. I'm a ranch, ranch manager um, in Stockdale for a 2,700 acre ranch. We've got low fence and high fence. Um, there's some exotics out here and then the normal whitetail. Um, I guide on probably 11 different ranches all throughout Texas, um, depending on what animal they're looking for and what type of lodging someone's looking for depends on which ranch I give them to. I'm all about making the hunter happy. I think that's your job as a guide. So I don't stick to just one branch because that one branch might not fit everybody that's looking for a hunt. Yeah, so absolutely. I got all over Texas and then I've got my own ranch as well where I've got exotics and things like that. That's amazing. And I know that you said that you do transport as well. Do you want to dive into that and explain that to our listeners? I know we have a lot of listeners that don't really know a lot about exotics or even Texas. So I think it'd be really neat for them to hear what you're doing with the trapping and transport. So I do exotic trapping and transport. I've tra transported giraffes all the way down to whitetail or, or access deer. Um, we go out and we either dart the animal or catch them with a helicopter or use a, a live trap, whatever's the most humane for the animal. Um, a lot of times I have to go out and uh, tranquilize these animals just so they can get medication or have a horn fixed or you know, their, their feet trimmed or something like that. But I do it all over Texas. Um, I've got probably 350 different ranches that I work for. They either buy animals from me or have me sell their animals for them. I've got a really great, great crew working for me. My guys are, are awesome, but we do it all over Texas. A lot of, a lot of what we do mainly is selling overstock. You know, someone will start an access herd three or four years ago and now they've got you know 20 deer that they need to get rid of so i'll go in there with the live trap and, and catch them load them in the trailer and then get them sold to to another ranch it's it's a lot of fun it can it can be a dangerous job you got to have experience doing it um but it's it's a lot of fun yeah absolutely it could definitely i mean a, a trapper or anything like that when you set them what are you using like panel traps what is it that you're, you, you said that you dart them as well? So we, we that... use tranquilizers uh, that are prescribed for the vet for that ranch. And we have a, a dart gun. So if an animal's in a smaller pen, we can 
dart the animal. The animal will go off a few minutes later and it'll lay down. And then we go and put a mask on the animal um, and then back the trailer up to it and load it into the trailer. As for the traps, we use what's called a drop trap. Um, it's mm -hmm. a big black circle and we have cameras inside the trap. We wait for the animals that we're specifically looking for to go in there. And then when they go in there, we drop the doors and then you can just back the trailer up to the trap and load the animals from the trap. With the helicopter, normally it's we're using a net gun. And what that is, is it's a net. So you fly over the animal and you shoot the net. It goes over the animal and makes it so the animal lays down. And then we hurry up with the truck and trailer, grab the animal and, and put it in the trailer. So I got to know, what is your favorite animal you've ever trapped? I would have to say black wildebeest. I think they're my favorite. They're absolutely beautiful. Yes, they're, that's actually, I'm going to Africa in May with our next Women of the Wild trip and a black wildebeest is high on my list. And I, I told the outfitter, yeah. I said, I don't even care if I get to shoot one. I just want to see one in person because I have a blue wildebeest and they even like, there are species that like grew on me the first time I went to Africa. It, it didn't really set with me how much I loved them until this last time that I went. And I was able to harvest one. One of the clients had passed it on a beautiful old bull and the outfitter was like, do you want him? And I know it's on your list, just not this time. And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I took him and I actually posted a photo on my social media, which I had some people that like came back with like, you know, the negative comments, but also like, you know, you post for that photo and it was a hundred percent legit. Like I was in love with that thing so much. I climbed on its back and just hugged it. But then it yeah. got me to the point where like, I just had a whole new appreciation for wildebeest. Like they are stunning creatures. They're, they're really neat. I think the biggest one on my bucket list to get would be a kudu. I've moved hundreds of kudu cows and, and bulls you know for live sale I've, I've darted them and loaded them and whatnot but that's my dream is uh to go to africa and get a kudu in africa well you'll have to come with us one of these years because we host an annual trip over there and it's it's spectacular have you ha now you've done exotics all in texas and everything have you ever traveled for hunting other i have than i have um just just in the united states in colorado alaska North Carolina is where I got my black bear uh, two years ago. I went with some friends of mine. We got an elk cow in Colorado last year. I've been to Montana, so just in the United States. So that's definitely one of my dreams is to go over to to Africa and see these animals that I take care of on a regular basis. Like, it's it's crazy because we were talking earlier. It's not a big deal for me to have a zebra in in my living room, and <laughs> yeah. I'll have like the the UPS guy uh, came earlier and I opened the door and the zebra picked her head up. She was laying on the couch and he like he got whiplash. He turned around so fast. He was like, "Is that a zebra?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's a zebra." <laughs> and I just went on about my business. <laughs> but I I would love to see him in their in their natural habitat. I'd love to go over to Africa one day and, and see these animals that I get to work with on a daily. Here in the United States, we have such a false perception. I've became a very big advocate for African hunting, which it's funny because before I went. I was one of those people that I was like, it doesn't do anything for me. I always considered myself, quote unquote, not to be a trophy hunter and a meat hunter. And a few years ago, I was actually in the shop with my taxidermist and we were talking and he's like, Felicia, would you stop saying that you're a meat hunter? He said, there's nothing wrong with being a trophy hunter. He said, these trophy hunters, they're bringing so much to the economy. They're utilizing all of that meat. You're just more selective and that's okay to admit that. And it completely like spun me through a loop of, oh my gosh, I've been looking at this the wrong way for so many years. And I actually won the trip to Africa the first time and went and I fell in love with it. But it made me open my eyes to like, because when I got there, I, a zebra was part of my package. And originally I had that 
false concept of they're like a horse, you know, like uh, there's no way I would shoot one. And then getting over there and seeing them in their natural environment and they're running freely and their abundance. And it blew my mind that even like to this point, even to this point, like I thought I would never shoot a giraffe. And now it's on my list to do it because I've learned and educated myself on them, on what they do to the environment, on why it's important to hunt them, you know, over there. And it's, it's crazy to me that here we have grown, like I said, that false persona of what it is due to television, due to zoos and marketing. It's just a hundred percent on, on track with, of being in their natural environment to go take something. It's completely different. I've done a lot of high fence and uh, exotic hunts down in Texas and helped with those. And as amazing as those hunts are, it's just not the same. It's not the same as the animals in their natural environment. So uh, with that, it's funny too. I've had people, I've had people, um, those, the same negative, I call them negative Nancy's, but I've had people, you know, comment on my Facebook post because we've taken several zebra studs throughout the year and they're like, oh my God, it's a horse and they're so friendly and I'll tell them, I'll be like, well, come pet it then and and let me know how it works out for you. Yeah. So when I took my zebra last year, I actually received death threats in the mail for it. I I Um, believe it. I, it was, it was very appalling to me that we live in a society where it's okay to threaten and shame someone's life for taking an animal. And they think that that's okay to send you death threats and all this negative, very mean and crude things about you, your family, what could happen. I mean, it went as far as shame on you for being a mother. I hope your, your children die and have cancer in your arms. And I'm like, oh my God, like what, what world are we living in where it's okay for you to say that to a human over taking an animal's life? Yeah, this is my goal right here. And this is part of what I do. The reason why I do what I do is because I want to change kids thinking about when it comes to harvesting an animal and things like that it's to prevent our kids from turning out to be being people like that if that makes sense i've gotten the death threats too i've 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 gotten so many of them it's not even funny and i mean they'll do it on their public facebook profile so it's like you know exactly who this person is you you can see where they work you know all their information is on there and they're sending me death threats i'm like what makes you think that this is okay like how could you possibly think that it's okay for you to threaten me or threaten my family because I harvested an animal or help somebody else harvest an animal. It's it, we right. live in a crazy world and I'm trying to do my part to make it not so crazy. If that makes sense. Absolutely. I think, and that's, I mean, that's the best that any of us can do is walk into this with the hopes, you know, our, our mission with Moon of the wild when we do posts is it's not about the followers. It's not about the likes. It's not about the shares, but it's if that post inspired or educated someone in some way, shape or form, it did its purpose. It served its purpose. And what you're doing child by child, client by client, animal by animal, you are out there doing just that is educating and serving a purpose. And the biggest thing is utilizing. We get asked that all the time, whether it's ducks, whether it's geese is like, great, but did you eat it? Of course we did. I mean, there's very select few animals that you're going to hunt that you're not going to eat the meat off of. I'm a big advocate that if you kill it, you eat it. So my kids will take them out and we have that conversation. They'll be like, mom, can I shoot it? And I'm only if you're going to eat it. And it might be like, it could be a raccoon. It could be a squirrel, but it's, that's the rule is you're not going to just shoot something to shoot something. That's not why we're out here. And that was more of a drive when they were younger as they've, as they've grown and matured. 
that's been a big part of it is now it's, you know, I want a deer because that's what I want on our dining room table. And they they're learning the purpose now of that harvest is feeding my family and they're seeking that reward of I just did that and it provided for my family. Right. I have the I have the same rule with my kids and same thing. It doesn't matter if it's a raccoon, rabbit, you know, whatever it might be. If you shoot it, you eat it. And I actually had to stick my foot in my mouth on that one. My daughter shot a rattlesnake the other day with a 410 and she said, okay, we're going to eat it, but you're going to have to help me cook it. So <laughs> we <laughs> ate it, but it was, that was, that was the only thing I've ever eaten where I was kind of standoffish. What now? How was it? It was actually really good. It wasn't that bad at all. Standoff. Is it just because it was a snake? Just because it was a snake. That's, that's it. Okay. And she's terrified of snakes, but she was, she was perfectly okay to eat it. She cleaned it. She gutted it. Um, she got it ready for me. We looked up a recipe and I mean, we ate it. I just, it was one of those things where I'm just sitting there thinking about eating a snake as I put this thing in my mouth. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so fun. Well, Ashley, we are going to take a really short break and we're going to hear from our sponsors, but listeners, please stay tuned because we have a lot more to talk about with Ashley. Welcome back. We are here with Women of the Wild as your host, Felicia Marie, and we are talking to Ashley down in Texas, guide, rancher, transport of exotics. And we have kind of touched base on everything that you do with kids in the outdoors, with the ranching, the guide life, the trapping and transport. But I got to know, what what is it that drives you? I know you said like with getting the kids in the outdoors and everything like that. What is it that drove you with that first access hunt to be where you're at now? I was actually having a lot of uh, stomach issues and health issues. And uh, my doctor completely cut all red meat out of my diet. And I was still having a bunch of issues. And I had a friend of mine that was a very avid hunter. It was She's a lady, an older lady. She told me that uh, she couldn't eat red meat from the store, but that her husband had harvested an access. And that was the only thing that she could eat that didn't upset her stomach. So it wasn't like, you know, I want to go out and hunt an animal. It was, let me go do this so that I can see if it's something that I can, that I can eat and not have health problems with. And sure enough, I haven't had any issues with meat as long as it's meat that, you know, me or my hunters have, have harvested. I haven't bought meat from the grocery store since I started guiding hunts. I, I refuse to. It's cra- Every animal I've ever had, I've, I've gotten to taste probably 50 different species in the last 10 years. And I haven't had a problem with any of them that were harvested by me or, or one of my hunters, but I can go to the grocery store right now and buy a steak and I, I will get sick from it. Yes. I, I actually can, can also back that up. I mean, I don't buy meat at a grocery store. Everything in my house is self-sustained and to eat like burger or steak or anything like that from a grocery store or even like going out to eat at a restaurant friends look at me funny because I won't order a steak I'll order like salmon or something but it's because that store-bought meat with all the hormones and antibiotics in it bleaching there's so many things that is done to that meat that you're purchasing those chemicals in that meat it causes people with stomach issues major issues from eating it and eating these free range animals. It does. It's, it has settled down a lot of stomach issues for myself and my family as well. So I can definitely justify and back that up that it, that is a real thing. So that's, wow. That's a a hell of a way to get started or like, I guess a reason, right? Like some people have that reason of, I just want to try it. But the fact that you did it with such a backing is really neat to me as well. And I've, I've just, I've never quit. It's been nonstop ever since then. (laughs) I love that. What has been one of your favorite hunts that you have guided? I had a little boy and his brother a couple of years ago, right before it was both their first years. 
And right before they came out, they actually lost their mother to suicide. And their dad was just trying to get them out of the house and get their mind off something else, if that makes sense. Um, neither of them wanted to shoot a deer. Both of them wanted to stay in a cabin and, and watch TV and play on the games and whatnot. And it took me, they were only there for three days. It took me an entire day just to get them to get out in the Polaris and drive around and, you know, get to go look at these animals and whatnot. But they got comfortable with me. And I got the older boy, um, a doe. And then later that afternoon, I got another, his brother, an access doe. And when they left, they started crying. And they said uh, that they haven't had that much fun since their mom passed away. And they asked if they could come back next month. And I said, sure, as, as long as it's okay with your dad. And they have been back routinely every two or three months they come out. They're they're a little bit older now. And the, the older boy will tell his dad, hey, dad, I'm getting in my feelings. I just need to go out, call Ashley. And they'll call me and we'll, we'll go out and get a doe or, you know, whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be an expensive animal. So that that was my absolute favorite hunt. They, they write me on a regular basis. They call me if they need anything. They know they can reach out to me. Uh, one's old enough now to start having girl troubles. So he'll call me and ask me uh-huh. about girls. But Aww. that is, that was my absolute favorite hunt. Mm, that's, and that's like those heart wrenching moments that you can't help, but want to be a part of and provide that experience to those kids. Because without something like that, it's hard to say where they'd be now or like emotionally how they would feel right now that you have found an right. outlet for them and a release for them after such a, a tragic event in their life. I mean, there's nothing it's a healthy outlet too. That's, that's, that's my biggest thing. You know, it's, it really is a healthy outlet for them. Absolutely. I mean, there's no, especially when you're being educated and you know, you're learning all the proper safety tips, you're getting comfortable with that firearm or that mechanism that you're using to hunt with. Once you've succeeded and passed that, there's nothing in like, I know that you, we have the naysayers out there that, that won't agree with that, that you're not harming anything to do this because you're harvesting an animal. But to me, if you're utilizing that animal, it's a harvest. It's not, it's not just a kill. And I think that's the the negative side that we get from that is like, you're giving them a positive outlet, even though people see it as negative, because hunting does have that negative stigma with it. A lot of times, it really is a healthy outlet, because these kids are not out getting in trouble. There's so many bad things in this world that they could be encountering. And instead, they're making a conscious choice to get out there and do something healthy for them, healthy for their family, something they can all do together and make the connections like they have with you. That's what, that's what this is all about. That's really what it's about for me too. I was just going to dive into what, what in guiding, um, you said that you've gone to Alaska and, and everything, and you've been all over the place. What, what of those hunts, what were you guiding when you were in Alaska? You said caribou? Yeah. So what, that is like a bucket list for a lot of our listeners, I know. So I would love to dive into that and you to just explain that experience. Cause I know most people don't have the ability to see Alaska and it's like that one place that's on everybody's bucket list. So I'd love to hear about that. Just seeing it. It's, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. Just seeing it is enough. Even if you're, you know, not able to harvest an animal when you go out there, just seeing it. It's absolutely amazing. It's cold, bring some warm clothes. But it's 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 absolutely amazing out there. Um, I, I would move to Alaska if I could, but it's too cold for me. I'm a Texas girl. <laughs> um, what part of Alaska were you in? Uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. And then we took okay. a plane to um, an island. And then we flew from that island to 
another place. You'll have to forgive me. I don't remember the name of it, but it was, it was beautiful. I've got some pictures on my Facebook if you want to go check them out, but I, I love Alaska. I would permanently guide up there if, if I could. It's just too cold for me. Did you do any fishing while you were there? I did not. I have a, a trip planned in the spring actually to go up there and go fishing, but I did not get to while we were up there this last time. We had a weird storm come in and a bunch of different stuff happened. We tracked the one caribou for two days. So wow. hopefully this this time coming up, I'll have time to fish. That's specifically what we're planning on doing when we go up there. That's incredible. Um, Alaska is high on my bucket list. My dad actually lived there uh, before he had the three of us. I don't know. It's always just been one of those places I've never been in and been to it. And for some reason, it has already stolen a piece of my heart before I've even been there. And I'm almost afraid to go because I don't think I'll leave. And being from Michigan, I'm used to the cold. So I'm like, bring it on all about it. And if I didn't have like my two little boys, if I had the ability to take them with me and go and didn't have to be locked to where I was, um, I think that if I went, I don't know that I'd come home. So that's always been a fear of going is if I go, what I even come home. Everybody that I've ever met their first time in Alaska, that is what they say. Once I got there, I kind of had a fear that I wasn't going to come back. I mean, I was ready to move to like Africa. The first time I went, I would have, I would have stayed. If I could have, I would have stayed in a heartbeat. And I actually like coming home, it like hit me so hard that like, I just, I loved the people and the environment and the atmosphere and the cuisine and the culture so much that I actually like got anxiety coming back home. And it's funny because we just, I, one of my good friends, Kim from Texas just went to Alaska with her husband for their anniversary. And we talked about that. And I said, Kim, I don't know that I can go because i I have to wait till my kids are 18 because I don't think I'd come home. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility for me when my kids get older to get, you know, a summer cabin up there and just go up there in the in the summer times. It's definitely on my on my bucket list. That's it's just amazing. And caribou is I think any avid hunter that's like high on their bucket list. And now to the final segment to this week's episode of Women of the Wild podcast. We will conclude this segment by thanking our closing sponsors. Stay tuned for more of this week's episode after this short word from our sponsors. Muzzy Pheasant Farms, a mid-Michigan family-owned and operated pheasant game preserve that is open year-round. Muzzy offers educational courses and hunts. They are family-oriented, creating a great opportunity for new and seasoned upland hunters. With no membership required, come hunt with Muzzy Pheasant Farms. You can find more information at muzzypheasantfarms.com or check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Blast and Cast Guide Service is a veteran-owned and operated Michigan-based guide service for the Great Lakes. With decades of experience of fishing and waterfowl, they ensure a safe and enjoyable trip every time. You can check them out at blastandcastguideservice.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Ultimate Veteran Adventures. UVA offers outdoor therapy, recreation, and camaraderie through hunting and fishing adventures around the country for veterans, active duty military, Gold Star families, and first responders. You can find them at Ultimate Veteran Adventures. You can find them at ultimateveteranadventures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Sawmill Creek Bait and Lures, a husband and wife owned and operated company, the home of the C4, one of the best trapping canine lures on the market. You can find them at sawmillcreekbaitandlures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Wicked 7 Outdoors, a Southwest Texas outfitter guide service with an exceptional care and quality of backcountry mountain hunts for free range audad. 
Also offering high fence and low fence exotics, come immerse yourself in the outdoor experience. You can find Wicked 7 Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Misguided Outdoors is a female-driven Michigan-based guide service offering turkey and waterfowl hunts. Misguided is focused on educating women and youth, providing a hands-on hunt experience for all ages. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. We thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Um, so can I ask what is your favorite animal that you've ever harvested or hunting um, experience? My, you don't even have to have harvested anything. My favorite animal that I harvested, um, was my gem spock. I got a gem spock last year. Um, and it's been on my bucket list for a long time. And one of my return hunters, I've been hunting with him for, I think seven years now. Um, he actually surprised me with my own hunt. So he, made it seem like he was coming down for a hunt. He made it seem like he was, you know, putting a deposit down on, on his animal and come to find out he was um, getting me a gem spock. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. As I, I, that, that is one of the only animals that I've harvested where I, I bawled my eyes out like a baby. They're, they're absolute gorgeous animals. Yes. <laughs> yes. Gems are, they're very unique. You know what, Ashley, do you want to explain what they look like? Cause I could go on for them they for are, days. They're one of my favorites too. <laughs> they are gray and black. Um, they've got horns that kind of come straight back. Um, they've got, they don't have a spiral to them, but they've got the knobs on them. Um, I work with them on a live scale basis uh, daily and they are extremely dangerous animals. I mean, lions don't mess with them. So that, that tells you something. Um, so I have that much more respect for those animals because I deal with them alive and I know how dangerous they can be but they're, they're beautiful. They have black stripes going down their face. Kind of looks like a raccoon mask going down their face. They are soft. They're super soft, almost like a rabbit. Yeah. They're, they're incredible animals. And a lot of people don't know this, that the males, um, with the males and the females, both the female and the male have horns, but the males are a wider base where the females are typically skinnier, but they're a lot longer. So that's, um, the Gemsbach, especially a nice bull. I like the big base to a horn, but that's what I've been chasing for the last two years in Africa. And one of our clients, we were presented with a beautiful old 12 year old Gemsbuck and he like infiltrated his way into a bunch of Impala. And my, my guide knew that that was like what I was after. But when I heard that one of our clients wanted it, I was like, Nope, if she wants it, it's hers. And she ended up shooting him and she absolutely loved him. But just to see him on the ground and like absolutely stunning creatures, they're almost this like silvery gray color. Like you said, the big predominant black stripes that run parallel to each other down its face. And then that bright white with that silver that comes back in, like it is, they're a very unique animal. There's nothing that looks like them. You have the scimitar and things like that, that look similar to them that have that little bit of a curve to them, but any type of oryx they're just there's nothing else out there that looks like them no they're they're absolutely majestic i call them the african panda oh i love that i'm gonna use that i love it they are and they're fast a lot of people don't realize that as well they're a very hard animal to hunt um they can run extremely fast i i call them the silver bullet um because every time that i've gone i've gone to hunt a gemsbok and i've left without one and they just have seemed to elude me every time so it it grew a a very big respect for those animals to me for that is I'm okay with not harvesting it. It's more the experience. And like this year we had a herd of, I want to say it was like six or eight of them. And it was mostly cows and young bulls, but they were literally running for 
gosh, I don't even know how many miles alongside the truck. And we were just trying to catch up with them to where they would stop. And I mean, we were going as fast as what we safely could in, in the safari truck. And we were losing them. Like they, they run fast. They are incredibly fast. Oh, that's amazing that you got to do that. And how awesome is that of your client to do something like that for you? Just another testament of like who you are as a person, as a guide, that your clients adore you enough to do something like that. That's amazing. It, it is. That's actually how I got my black bear uh, too. I got my black bear in North Carolina two years ago. Um, and the gentleman that brought me out there is one of my return hunters. I've known him for a while now. Um, he had me drive up to North Carolina with some other friends of his, and I was able to harvest a beautiful, beautiful black bear. Um, and that was a really neat experience too. Um, it definitely, that definitely was on my bucket list and I got to cross it off. Thanks to, thanks to him. I, I normally am the one taking everybody else out to hunt and I don't have a problem with that. I get to have that same experience they do. And I'm just as happy as they are when they get to harvest that animal. So when I do actually get to go out and hunt, it's it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people realize that about outfitters or guides is you do it because you have a love and a passion for it. Uh, I guide here in Michigan, uh, for waterfowl and Turkey. And for, for me, for any guide that I've spoken with, it's that I've said it, I almost feel selfish sometimes because I feel like sometimes I'm more excited than the client. It truly doesn't yeah. matter to pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah. You just, you're so yeah. excited for that person to have that experience or, you know, as a guide, you, you talk to your clients before they come out with you and you get to know them on a personal level and, and what they want, what they expect. And then when they get there and everything turns out to be exactly what they wanted and they have this amazing time and then you get to share that experience with them. It's, it's so meaningful to us that. I think that people don't realize how enjoyable it is for guides to experience that alongside with you. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a, a rush. It's uh, it, and it never slows down. It, it never changes. It's every single time you get that, that excitement and that happiness when you watch, when you got to help someone else harvest that, that animal. Oh, absolutely. It is. Every time is like the first time. So yeah, that's, I love everything that you're doing. And I think that, I think what you're doing with the kids is beyond words for me. You, you really threw me off with this one um, because it, it's something that's very near and dear to my heart and obviously yours as well. And I think a lot of times as a mom, you can't help but have that nurturing aspect. And um, I just, I want to commend you for that, like tenfold what you're doing and what you continue to do because we don't have people enough in the outdoors doing what you're doing. And, no. um, and I more would, so sorry. more so female. Yes. And I think there's a, a trust aspect there too. When you're getting that type of a service from a woman, women are more comfortable yeah. with a female guide. Children are seem to be more comfortable with a female guide and it, it's not yes. anything against men. It's not, um, I'm not some he-man woman hater kind of person of like yeah I'm it, not either it, <laughs> it, it really is something different with with a woman and I don't know if it's that nurturing nature if it's you know maybe the tone of our voice or the way that we address things or because there's men out there that do a, a great job but typically it's not as intimidating to learn from a woman and we hear that a lot and we try the best that we can there's just not enough female guides that's actually how I became a guide 
is because there right. weren't enough, there weren't female guides. There's not even female hunters. So if I'm going to own a company and run a company for getting women in the outdoors, I need to be able to provide that experience and education from a non-threatening standpoint. So I dug deep and just learned how to do it and learned everything I could and absorbed any information that I could. And I, I surround myself with a lot of other guides that if I ever have a question, I'll admit, like, I don't, I'm not always the best suited person for this. I'm that jack of all trades, master of none, but I, I scout 365 days a year and I work my tail off and I, I educate myself if nothing else to be able to provide that education as someone who's like non-threatening to women, to children. And if you call me and I'm available, like at the drop of a hat, I am out the door and coming to help with an event. And a lot of times my kids come for that same reason your kids are going out there is because it's a comfortable aspect for a child to learn when they have other children that same age, they're with them. They don't feel so singled out. So I think that that's great all in itself of everything that you're doing and like the full circle of like getting them comfortable with that firearm, making sure that they're learning about that animal, making sure that they're getting out there, that they're being safe, that they're enjoying their time, but also making that connection and then following through and getting them back out again. Like those, that's, we need more people like you. We really do. I, I think we do too. I wish there was, there was 20 of me getting kids out. But you know what, the the lives that you're affecting through what you're doing, every single one of them matter. And it's hard because like, for me personally, I'm sure you can relate to this. You never feel like it's enough, right? Like I took 10 kids out this month, but I should have taken 12. Like, I wish I could have taken a few more. Or you always just wish that you, like you said, had another set of hands or I don't know, start split in DNA or something here and make more of you and clone you because it's people like you that are pushing these kids and you're never going to hit the demographic to hit, to be able to help everyone. So the fact that you're out there, I'm actually looking into, um, hiring more female guides, um, and training them or, or if they've got the experience working with them. So if anybody is interested in, in guiding, I'm looking to specifically hire more female guides so that we can get more kids out there and and do more stuff with the kids. I absolutely love that. And that's, it's a great aspect to have that mindset of this is what's working. This is what we need to do and providing that education so it can keep growing and going and providing more opportunities to people. So Ashley, I, I love speaking with you today because it, it, it's a big passion of ours at women of the wild is you know, we have that saying of you take a man hunting, you've taken a man hunting, you take a woman hunting, and you've now introduced her entire life, like her kids, her spouse, her friends. As women, we get excited and we want to share that experience with others. And to see these women come out and take their husbands or take their kids, um, it's a it's a really big piece to us. But we also try really hard um, to involve the children because. everything that we're fighting for sorry sorry (laughs) my grandfather told me once he said if you take a man hunting you take a man hunting but if you take a woman hunting you're taking her entire family for generations to come hunting yes that is the exact epitome of that of this is what we're doing this is why we do it is because you're he was absolutely correct you've you've changed generations once you've taken a female hunting Right. 
And so. I, I've got to see that first firsthand with some of the women I've taken hunting and some of the, you know, kids I've taken hun- hunting uh, as well. So it's, it's neat to see it. It I've been doing it long enough now to where I can watch the turnaround. If, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. You like you plant that seed and you get to watch it grow and it starts with a woman or, or even a child. And as they grow, they have kids and you get to watch them grow. And it just, it's a repeating cycle of watching this like step-by-step continue to grow. And that's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing feeling when, when it, when it comes back to you, it's just, it's an absolute amazing feeling. Yes. I, I just have to say, I love what you're doing and it, I hope that our listeners out there, I hope any women out there that are wanting to get into something like this or get involved, even just volunteers, um, you know, in the, some of the ranch work that I've done, sometimes they need volunteers with cooks or helping with skinning animals. Or if you're savvy with a bow or anything like that, or even firearms and you want to lend a hand, you don't necessarily have to be a guide or want to be a guide. If there's a want or a need to help with stuff like this. And I know that there's a couple of women's organizations down in Texas that advocate that same mission that we have. So I'll be sure to spread that word along um, and and help any way that I can. Or, I mean, shoot, if you ever have a hunt that you want to put together and we can get a group of women or even like a mommy and me style hunt together, that's the absolute goal for everything that we stand for is to do things like what you're doing. Yeah, I completely agree with with what y'all are doing. I think we're all on the same team here. Yes, that's a big part of all this too, is people need to realize like in the outdoor industry coming together, when you have that same mission, you have that same passion. Um, Jennifer uh, from Proist Silver in Wisconsin actually told me this years ago on a pheasant hunt. She made a comment about like, we need to stop stifling each other's fires and glow brighter together. And that has stuck with me since the day she said that. So for a couple of years now, that has been one of my big mottos is like, we glow brighter together that if, if women are out there and we're in the outdoors and we're doing these things, we're doing it because we love it because we have a, a passion for it and we want to see others succeed and teaming together with other like-minded women or companies or organizations that have that same mission and passion. It's, it doesn't have to be a competition. We can be in this together. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never taken a hunting aspect and, and looked at it as competition ever. I'm, I'm in it for, for everybody else. I'm not here to compete with, with anybody. I've always said the only person I'm competing with is who I was yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. Myself. That's, that's, that's it. Yes. And it's, it's great. It's just great. Everything that you're doing is you live such an exciting life. Like be, being able to see the amount of exotics that you see, being able to guide the things that you've guided and even the trapping aspect, which was also something I, I, I knew that you did it, but I didn't know to the extent of guiding and trapping and everything that you do. So it's really great because you're not a, a, you're not a big burly woman either. So for our listeners that can't see no, you or maybe don't follow you yet, you're a, you're a tiny framed woman and you are out there just crushing the outdoor world. I'm, I'm 120 pounds soaking wet. I'm right there with you. And it's, it's very refreshing to see and hear other like-minded women that are going out there that have the grit and are just ripping it up and holding their own. And to be able 
to be able to be 120 pounds and pull a deer in and skin it and quarter it and process it yourself is a, is a pretty big defeat for even most men. So the fact that you're a 120 pound female, it's like hats off because that's what we, that's also what we need more of is these women with grit who are willing to get in there, get their hands dirty and educate others. Right. I agree with that a hundred percent. Well, Ashley, we are, I'm sorry. I wasn't kidding. when I, I said earlier, my daughter, um, she's 14. She can skin a deer faster than I can. I wasn't kidding. And she's, she's my size as well. So, <laughs> you know, and in the few ranches down in Texas that I've helped with, that is one thing that I've noticed is the, the females seem to be quicker and a little bit more precise on their skinning capabilities, not knocking any men or anything, but I have noticed that with a couple of women that I've hunted with that they can skin and skin very well quickly. And I don't know if it's because we just have like an eye for it and act for it or what it is, but it's funny that you say that because that's one thing that I've been noticing is a lot of, a lot more girls that are getting into hunting are really good at it. Right. That's, that's one of my favorite things. Um, when the kids come out after we do the gun safety and after we get their animal is teaching the kids how to cape their animal out. And that's a, that's a big part of it. And I think they respect it more when you go through, uh, teaching them how to cape that animal out. And I, I get them completely involved. Um, I I've never had a kid just stand there and, and watch me do it. I mean, it might take me a little bit to get them involved, but no matter what, I do my absolute best to make sure that they're involved in the entire process. And I think they have more of respect for it. Once they, once they do, they can go home and say, Hey mom, I cut up those steaks. Yeah. That self pride. Yeah. So do you have any, do you have any tips for our listeners? Because you, because you take so many children out, do you have any tips for our listeners who maybe their kids or, or maybe one of their friends, kids that they want to start taking for them to be able to, when you have a kid, that's a little bit more, um, standoff, what are the, some of the tips that or tricks that you use to get those kids more involved? It, it depends why they're standoffish. Um, I've had kids that were standoffish because they were afraid of the noise from a firearm. Um, so I made sure that they had the proper ear gear. Um, and I, I will fire the firearm in front of them with that proper ear gear over and over again until they're like, okay, this isn't as bad as, as I thought it would be. Um, if they're standoffish about the the blood and the the guts part, I dive right into it and show them, you know, it's not that bad. It, it just really depends on why they're standoffish. Um, a lot of parents don't take their kids hunting because they can't afford to. They can't afford a lease. They can't afford um, to go out and purchase an exotic animal. And of course, I can't get them all. I would love to get them all. Um, but there's there's people out there like me that will get your kid out there. You might be on a list for a little while, but I will do it, whether it be a hog or, you know, a white-tailed doe. It's, I tell a lot of moms that I've met, uh, there's no excuse. If your kid has a passion for the outdoors, make it happen because you'd rather have them have that passion than, than something else. So motivate them. If they have a passion for the outdoors, tell them to put a post on, on Facebook that says, you know, I'm looking for somewhere to shoot a hog or a doe or something like that. And there's a lot of ranchers that'll reach out to people and say, Hey, you know, you can come out to my house and shoot a doe or I'll reach out to them and I'll, I'll make it happen. There's just, there's no excuse for it not to happen. We can with, with me and you and everybody else in the industry that's trying to get kids outside, we can make it happen. 
Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. Beyond words can say of how important it is that if you have a kid at any point that expresses a want or desire to be outdoors, feed it. Let it like feed it the best that you can because what this could turn to if they don't give them that outlet, give them that experience. And it's such a, like we talked about previously, it's such a healthy experience for them to go do and they're learning to be self-sustainable. So if you can provide that to a kid and grow that, like we said earlier, plant that seed, you should be doing it. And even if you don't say you're in a state and you don't have, you're like, wow, this podcast sounds great. I would love to take my kid to do this, but I live in, you know, Tennessee, we don't have a lot of high fence ranches or things like that. There's still other outlets and resources. And I definitely, you know, want to let our listeners know that, you know, we're a Michigan based company. We do travel all over the United States and internationally. Um, But there's a ton of women's groups out there that have this same mission that don't be afraid to reach out to someone like myself or like Ashley, because we may not be in your area, but we might know somebody that can help. So if you're not a hunter, I've, I've, got yet, hunters from, sorry. I've got hunters from all over the United States and all over the world. Um, so there's, there's, and, and all of my hunters are kind of in the same mission that you are, that we are together. So if someone was to call me and say, I'm from Iowa, um, I'd like to get my son a, a white tailed doe. I, I guarantee you that through our network, we could, you know, we can make it happen. We can get your kid outside. Yes. Yes. And it, it doesn't matter if it's a deer, if it's a squirrel hunt, a duck hunt, like it doesn't matter if it's fishing, like we do trapping events, like just anything that's out there to get that seed planted and to get that curious mind rolling with being in the outdoors, let it start somewhere. Talk right. to your kid, right. see what they want to do and start with that and just let it flourish and let them do a lot of that speaking to you of what they want to do next. Or, you know, you might have a kid who has never hunted and they come to you and they're like, I want to hunt, but my first thing, I want a lion. Um, that's not going to happen. So having that realistic conversation with them is a big thing too, because sometimes one of the things that I have learned with working with children is sometimes there is that if there's the maturity's not there, there can be unrealistic expectations and explaining to them what we're doing, why we're doing it. And maybe like, listen, I know this is what you want, but this is where we're going to start with. And we're going to work our way to that, have those conversations and be honest and kind of lay out that floor plan for them of what this season is going to entail for them, I think is really important with children as well. Yeah, I I agree a hundred percent. Well, Ashley, it has been amazing talking with you and I I'm going to be picking your brain more because I learned so much about you from this podcast that I would love to team up and do something together with women of the wild, um, with you. And I'm a frequent flyer down to Texas, so I'll have to connect with you and we'll have to go get lunch or something one of these times, or I don't know, just come hug a zebra in your living room, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I can make that happen. That's Oh, it's, I, I saw that on Facebook the other day that you were driving with one in your back seat, and I'm like, no way. Yeah, I, it was funny, too, because um, she actually had a vet appointment. I had to take her to the vet um, for just, you know, a checkup, and I, I cracked the window, and she was sticking her face, like, not completely out the window, but people saw her, and I ended up <laughs> having to roll the window up because I thought somebody was going to wreck trying to stare at the zebra. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
Can you imagine, like, for most people, though, when you're not used to seeing exotics be driving down the road and you're going to expect a dog to hang its head out the window and it's a zebra, like, you probably just made somebody yeah. day. Yeah, I can understand the, the shock. <laughs> That's really just amazing. Um, So I know that we're coming to the end of the podcast. Do you want to share where people can find you, um, whether it be any social media platforms or how people can connect with you or even reach out to you if they want a guided hunt or if they're interested in, you know, becoming a female guide with you. The best way to get a hold of me is, is honestly my cell phone, either that or Facebook. Um, my Facebook is Ashley AB Ranch Fog, F O G G. Um, my cell phone number is 830-243-4233. Uh, if I don't, answer a phone call, uh, shoot me a text. I'm probably out in the field somewhere and I'll get back to him as, as soon as I can. I'm not a big email person. I'm not a big social media person. I'm on it a lot, um, posting pictures of animals we've gotten the kids and, and things like that. But the best way to get a hold of me is honestly just to call me or, or shoot me a text. Yes. Uh, I can see that, especially with how busy and active your lifestyle is. Um, Ashley, it's been fantastic talking with you. I want to, I want to say thank you for coming on and joining us with Women of the Wild. Do you it have was, any, my pleasure. Oh, thank you. Um, do you have any final words or thoughts that you want to share with someone? Uh, don't, don't be afraid whether um, you're a female, a man, um, or you've, you've got kids and they want to get outdoors, call me and, and we'll do everything we can to get them outside. It's something that we really got to, push i feel like we're losing this and it's 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 so important to to for to everybody and to to everything to get outdoors they don't even have to hunt i mean if somebody wants to come with me and, and go fill feeders just to be outside and be out in the country i can make that happen for people i love it so you now though nobody has an excuse they have your phone number they can find you at ashley ab fog on facebook and any way, shape, or form that you want to get in the outdoors, this is your girl to do it with. And we want to thank you for joining us for the Women of the Wild podcast. Make sure that you are out there. We have our calendars who are showcasing women from all over the United States with their harvest. Um, there's some kiddos in that calendar this year for the 2024 year, as well as our women's cookbook. So we have a wild game cookbook that is available on the website. And it is women all over the nation sharing their wild game recipes for you to not have an excuse not to try something. So thank you again for listening and we will catch up with you next time.